Hey, what's up, you intrepid oral explorer? I mean, oral AU, of course, although you do you. Hey, no shame. As I was mixing this episode, I realized I was going to have to record this little thing here. So it's a Lovecraftian universe, and that means we're in the horror genre. And little did I know, uh, as I create Foley for the action I'm describing, things were going to get a little... Oh, I got a cat in the background. Uh, Things were going to get a little graphic. So you've been warned. Uh, There's some cursing. And there's some gore and some nasty sound effects and some horror. And uh, buckle on up and thank you for listening. Peace. In a parallel 1940s where supernatural terrors are real, a lone private investigator takes cases that lead to dark ends. This is Mysteries and Madness, a collaboratively created two-player fiction using the gumshoe one-to-one role-playing system. I'm Dave Colmine, the director of our game. I know who's done it, and I portray the places, people, and entities in our story. And I'm Todd Sullivan. I play Jack Shepard, a private investigator and former journalist who likes brown liquor, clear liquor, and solving crimes in that order. This is Mysteries and Madness, the case files of Jack Shepard, Case 1, The Vanishing Socialite, Chapter 3, The Finale. I guess I awaken sometime in the late morning, thirsty. So we got a hangover, a, a heck of a hangover. Got now. A heck of a hangover. This is two days in the making yeah. now. So I still have my, my problem card for hangovers. Yeah, hungover GM decides. Yeah. Um, got to hydrate a little bit. My head hurts. Do one glass of water, one glass of whiskey, just to get rolling at the start of the day. <laughs> glass of water, glass of whiskey. Yeah. That. One to hydrate and one to stop the shakes. <laughs> yeah, you had a fun night last night with Mickey Cohen. Yeah, that's right. We were pounding those shots back pretty yeah. hard. Yeah, you were. And then I, I drove home. Yeah, and gaining some revelations, though, as well. Yeah, that was an interesting conversation. Like, it feels now like I, I have a pretty good sense of, of what happened. I don't remember what time I'm supposed to be visiting... 11 a.m. 11 a.m. At Margaret Deacon's. Okay. You talked yesterday to Clara Nebel and arranged for her to meet you there. I'm imagining then I'm waking up pretty close to 10 or 10, 15. Or at least, yeah. Have a quick shower, head over, and... You, uh, yeah, you think Jack Shepard has a shower at the beginning of his day? Depends on the super, day. Super hungover day like today? Depends on it. I mean, it, it it's a nice house. It's It's... Neoclassical. Oh, that's true. There's some truth. You know, I I don't want to be, you know, you know, I like, I like a lot of my business relies on word of mouth. Right. So I don't want this. And this is a big, this is your first big case. First big case. I don't need this woman saying he was a stinky loser. Right. So yeah, I think I am going to have a quick shower. Okay. Won't wash my hair. Okay. I dig it. 
just throw my my fedora on and, and hit the road. Okay. But in a in a clean clean shirt. Yeah. Yeah. Your third third suit. My third. I don't think I have three suits. I think I have two. You think you had two suits? I've got. I, I wear the second jacket from yesterday, the one that's not singed, but a, a clean shirt and tie. Oh, there you go. Okay, I believe that. Okay. All right. So you arrive back at the neoclassical palatial uh, Deacon residence. Mm-hmm. As you pull up and get out of your vehicle, Clara Nebel arrives in her own vehicle right behind you. Mm. She gets out of her car and just sort of gives you a nod, like she's in business mode. There's, she's the equivalent of here for an exorcism. She's she's uh, she's now on the clock and she has she has her mind set towards this objective. Is she carrying anything with her? Or? Yeah, she has like the equivalent of a doctor's bag, like an old-fashioned doctor's bag. Okay. Uh, the two of you approach the front door together, mm. ring the doorbell, the same stuffy, stuck-up butler answers the door, but this time he knows you're coming and kind of acquiesces to the side and lets you both in through the front door. Uh, Margaret is is descending the staircase to the foyer as you enter. She knew that you were coming. I ask her how, uh, how Helen is. Helen's unchanged, same as yesterday and the day before that and the day before that and the day before that. Hello, Clara. Margaret, great to see you as always. Margaret says, would you guys like to see her? Come this way. Okay. And you're led upstairs and to the second door on the right. Margaret unlocks the door to this bedroom and steps through the doorway, allowing you two to pass in as well. Uh, You enter a room that's closer to a hospital room than a bedroom. There's no knickknacks on any surface the room's been cleaned of any like sharp objects basically anything that could be thrown or used as a weapon Helen's orderly is in the room Mm -hmm. already um, and Helen is just sitting on the edge of the bed her hair's washed and wet and she's sitting in a robe she does not look up as you guys enter she just seems like she's just got sort of a blank expression on her face yes her hair hangs disorderly and she stares straight ahead She's moving her lips as if mumbling, but there's no sound coming out. I'd like to get a closer look at her. I'll walk towards her and stand stand in front of her. If at that point, yeah, if, if at that point, like once I approach and I'm standing there, if she doesn't react to that, I will sort of hunch down and, and see if I can look her in the eyes. are overwhelmed by a sense that you're falling into Helen's eyes. As you look into her eyes, you're drawn by something else that seems to be there within her, as if the madness that she contains is reaching out and trying to pull you into its depths. Hmm. And you must roll a stability check with an advance of 8+. What is Jack's stability? Two. Two dice. So you right. roll them one at a time, trying to get an advance of eight plus. There's five. Five on the first die. Oh, that was going three for a second, <laughs> but it didn't. That went two, creating a seven, which does not meet the advance of eight plus. I'm going to stick with the seven. Yeah. Just to remind you, because it's been a while, you can add a problem to add a die when rolling. 
Oh, well, let's do that then. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> You're going to add a problem to your life? Well, I mean, we're late in the game here. I don't see how bad a problem could be at this point. Okay. All right. <laughs> That's not a challenge, by the way, to give me a particularly difficult problem. <laughs> um, do I find out the problem before or after I roll? You find out about the problem after you roll. Okay. So here's my, my, my last roll. We have a six. Plus seven makes uh, yeah, 13. 13. Yeah, <laughs> math. So you have the advance of eight plus. You immediately snap out of it. You're only momentarily shaken. And you gain the edge bedrock skepticism. So you give yourself the additional problem cold-blooded, which says you maintain your sanity by cutting off your empathy for others. When you spend a push on reassurance, roll a die. On an odd result, you do not gain the benefit of the push, and you discard this card. Okay, so you have a disadvantage a in, push. on reassurances because you've kind of like lost faith in humanity. Just don't care about people, right? Yeah. Now. So then, you, okay, so that makes sense. By gaining that problem and advancing through the test, you also gained some bedrock skepticism. So now the supernatural, malign deities, what a load of hogwash. You'll never fall for that, bunkum. So you can spend this to counter a mythos shock problem. So you early gain the problem, cold-blooded. Mm -hmm. There are specific problems related to the mythos and the dark stuff. They will have this mythos shock designation assigned to them. And so you can uh, immediately get rid of one of those if and when it uh, happens with the bedrock skepticism. Meanwhile, you're cold-blooded, you don't give a crap, and it shows. Okay. So if you try to reassure anybody, that's gonna be an issue too. As you pull out of this darkness that you felt being drawn into by Helen's gaze, you are snapped back to reality, but the reality that this beautiful damsel in distress is sitting on the edge of this bed. I mean, Helen was a real looker, is a real looker. And so you must immediately make a cool challenge against damsel in distress. A test to see if you can maintain your composure okay. in front of this damsel in distress. Okay. The advance is four plus. What is your cool? You had me pull one of my fighting, and I moved it to cool, but then we decided we were taking it away from cool again, right? Yeah, I think so. Okay. I think that's what we should do. I think Jack Shepard is a one cool die kind of guy. Okay. <sighs> a one. Okay, well, I am going to spend myself possessed to get another cool die. All right. What is it? So what is the Jesus. what is the exact definition there for your self possessed? Um, a show of self control gives you the confidence you'll need if this case gets hairy. Spend for an extra die on cool or stability. There you go. So it's a cool test. You get an extra die. And I just got another one. So you I got roll a that die for a second one. Yep. Creating a two. A two is a hold. You see why someone might fall in love with this beautiful damaged waif. For an instant, you feel that urge yourself. Then you see the place on her wrist where she tried to slice herself open and realize that she's not the only one who'd be better off without an impulse for self-destruction. Is that me? Am I the one who has the impulse for self-destruction as well as her? Yeah. Just maybe. <laughs> just maybe. I think especially the way we played this character so yeah. far. Yeah. Well, and I think actually in that context, it means that like falling for her would be that would be a self-destructive impulse. Yeah, right? oh, I dig that. Boy, yeah. I've, uh, I've failed that cool role more than once. 
Clara puts her hand on your shoulder and kind of, you can feel a pressure kind of asking you to pull back a little bit so that uh, Clara can step closer. Mm -hmm. And as Clara does, Helen relaxes a little. Her body language changes a bit. Where is your gun right now, Jack Shepard? Still in the glove compartment, I think. I don't think I would have brought it into this. Clara places her hands on Helen's face, looks her in the eyes, and then staggers back, overwhelmed by what has just occurred. She's trembling, her eyes wide open. The tumbling eons, the hungry jaws. No, Nodens, no! And as she's screaming this, she moves to run out the door of this room. Okay, can I grab her? Yeah, give me an athletics check. Let's give me an athletics check with an advance of eight. Okay. I have a three and a three. Making a total of six. Yeah. Uh, so you are unable to grab her, and she runs out of the room. Follow her. So you uh, hop out into the hallway and see Clara running back towards the stairwell. Okay. I want to yell after her. What happened? What's going on? She's still screaming, running down the hallway. The hungry jaws! No! Nodens! No! No! As she continues to run. I'll give you a second athletics check with a advance of six plus to see if you can catch up to her. Okay. That's a one. <laughs> and a five. Okay. So you can catch up to Clara Neville. Yeah. What do you do? I want to see. I want to hold her, stop her from moving, turn her around and do a good old fashioned like 1940s. Snap out of it, you hysterical woman. Shake. Okay. I mean, I can't just let her go. I mean, we're kind of expecting this woman to be able to hopefully break whatever spell Helen is under. Right. I sure can't help. At least I don't know how to. So the only way to calm her down is to spend a reassurance push. Motherfuck. I, I have to roll when I do a push. And if it's odd, I think. Is that what Yeah, you have a 50% chance of failing this push. And I have to spend anyway. And you have right? to spend your final push to make this happen. <laughs> I mean, that's the world we live in. Yeah. All right. Bye-bye, last push. Okay. Spent the last of the four pushes we started with. On an odd result, you do not gain the benefit of the push. It's odd. Shoot. With a three, it's odd? Yeah. Okay. Um, Clara seems to realize that she's not going to be able to get away until she stops struggling against you. So she gets very still in your arms. Okay, I'll let her go. She sort of just stands there lifeless. Claire? She does not respond. Claire? Still nothing. Right. Is her bag still upstairs? Yes, her bag would still be upstairs. Okay. Is Margaret still upstairs or did she follow us? Well, you're all three of you are, everybody's still upstairs. They've just run near the staircase, kind of near like the railing overlooking oh, okay, this okay, large okay. foyer. Yes. Palatial. I got the foyer. picture that we had gotten down to the foyer somehow. No, but. so you guys are kind of at the top of this staircase. Yeah. Uh, the staircase like curved around the edge of this large open two story okay. foyer, and you're near the railing at the at the top of this foyer. I'm gonna ask Margaret if she can have someone um, try to get some smelling salts for Clara. Mm -hmm. And I'm gonna go take a look in Clara's bag and see if there's anything useful in there. Uh, Margaret 
calls out, Ella, can you find us some smelling salts, please? And the nurse uh, goes looking, heads down the hall, going looking for that. Okay. You head back to Clara's bag. You find in the bag uh, some bundled up sage, uh, a few crystals, nothing medicinal. Right. Can I get close to Helen again and and see if I can make out any sound coming from her mouth? Because last time I just looked in her eyes. Helen remains seated at the edge of the bed, seemingly mumbling to herself. You put your head up to hers, avoiding eye contact, and make out no words. There's like the the sound of lips moving and nothing else. All right. Um, yeah, I guess... The only lead I have left to sort of look at at this point is to go visit the guy with the, the memory erasing moonshine, which I feel like in and after the last few days I could use a drink of. Well, that was a hell of a thing, wasn't it, Jack? Yeah, not the result that I had been anticipating or hoping for. My apologies. I had hoped that she would be, had been able to help your sister. My goodness. Poor Clara. I actually feel a little bad for that woman now. She may have been fleecing my sister, but I think she has had her mind stolen. It certainly looks that way. What the hell do we do now, Jack? Well, I do have one more lead to follow. Roy at the garage in San Bernardino. I'll be back with what information I have from that later this afternoon. Good luck out there. Whatever this is, it's... Intense. It's certainly like nothing I've ever seen before. We'll hang on to Clara until she has her wits about her and then send her home. Thank you. If she comes to her wits, if she has anything to say about what she experienced, uh, please jot it down for me. Will do. Thank you. Good luck, Jack. head to San Bernardino and cruise around at the edge of the desert, looking for an old rusted oil derrick, a garage, things described by Clara Nebel and Mickey Cohen. And you slow your car down as you see up ahead down the road, there's an entrance to a garage and an old steel oil derrick off of the secondary road a couple hundred meters. What do you choose to do? Pull up. Pull up front. You pull up in front of the garage. There's a pair of old gas pumps clearly out of service. There's nothing astern. It appears to be empty. Nobody around. I'm going to take my gun this time, and I'm going to get out and poke around. There's a pair of large wood barn doors leading into the shop half of this garage. Mm Mm-hmm. They aren't locked. You can push on one, and it okay. it, uh, it starts pushing inward. I'll peek in there. You step into a dusty garage. There is a rust-colored car in the garage. In one of the corners, underneath a large canvas tarp, is a bunch of still materials, everything needed for distilling moonshine. Mm-hmm. 
There are a couple boxes, wood crates of empty jars that could fit moonshine. You actually recognize the jars, weird enough. You've seen a few of these jars empty in Bud Barron's shipping warehouse. Hmm. Is there any... Are there any full bottles? Yeah, there is a couple of crates of corked bottles full of clear liquid. Okay. And there's there's nobody in here? There's nobody in here. You're by yourself. Um... As you walk over and take a look at these bottles, you start to hear a low moaning coming from where the rusted out car is. Okay. I'll approach the rusted out car slowly. The, the sound appears to be coming from the trunk. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll get my gun out and then I'll, um, presumably I need to find like a, a trunk release in the driver's seat of the car if the door's unlocked or the window's open. You open the door, keys are in the ignition so you can grab the keys and open the trunk. I'll take the keys then and open the trunk. You open the creaky lid to the trunk and see inside a man who has been beaten to a pulp. Um, You're able to recognize the man as Burl Treehorn. Burl Treehorn was the casino lackey that escorted you to Whitey Alexander's office. Yeah, so... You knew his name to be Burl Treehorn. Uh, I don't know if he would have known your name, but he would have known you as that, you know, that P.I. who pokes around every once in a while that Whitey chats to. He is barely clinging to life. Blood soaks the linen bed sheet that he's been wrapped in. He's barely recognizable. Um, there's exposed brain tissue oh, pul- pulsing from a fissure in his shattered skull. Like, this guy is fucked up looking. And it is... He is so... Um, Mangled that uh, it requires you to get, have a stability challenge. Okay. So you must have your uh, stability challenge for seeing Burl with an advance of 11 plus. Okay. <laughs> a big shiny one. <laughs> so I'm not getting that 11. Well, hang on. I got two dice. I still can't get 11. Okay. But I might not have a one. <laughs> Uh, three. Making a total of three. Uh, three is still a setback. Uh, yeah. And I don't... With those rolls, I don't think it's worth... I'm going to get a problem no matter what here, so yeah, let's do the setback. You stagger back in horror. You can't help yourself. Anyone else would do the same thing. You gain the problem... You gain the problem... Problem! You gain the problem that you're rattled there, bud. Well... That seems like a pretty reasonable response to pulsing brain matter. <laughs> yes, there is that. <laughs> Being a little rattled makes sense under the circumstances. Yeah, yeah. So you are rattled. Mm-hmm. That thing you just saw leaves you shaky and off your game. Until you counter by taking some time, you take a minus two penalty on all cool and stability tests. Mm. Great. Wow, that's not good at all. As you're reeling from this body in front of you and just mm-hmm. kind of coming to the shock of what you're seeing, you notice a shadow moving on the floor near your feet, and you must now do a sense trouble check. Okay. Unfortunately, you have a minus three penalty on that sense trouble check from being from seeing Burl in the trunk. Is that what it says? That's Did you just make that up to fuck with me? That is what it says. Damn it. Damn it. So, uh, how many dice do you have for sense trouble? 
Two. It's an advance of 13 plus. He's what the hell, Gabe? Okay, you're brutalizing me now. Um, okay, all right. Two. Okay, I'm gonna retire those dice for a bit. <laughs> and one, another one. So you got a total of three with a minus three, so you got zero. Zero, yeah, that's right. You see a quick flash of light and are not unconscious. As your vision clears, you see that you're in a steel cage descending into a pit in the earth. WTF? You have been wrapped in the bloody sheet that you saw Burl being wrapped in in the back trunk of the car. So you're starting to feel that wet stickiness soaking through your clothes. Can I move? Can I get it off me, or am I am I chained up at all? You're not chained up in any way. You're okay. Your hands are free, your feet are free, but you're in a cage of yeah, yeah. steel, uh, like the kind you'd see hung outside old-fashioned castles, yeah, yeah. right? Okay. It's well-built. The cage door latch has a long, thick bolt through it, just pushed through from the top, so the head of the bolt stops it from sliding all the way through. With a fair bit of work, you could probably slowly push the bolt back out of its hole. So I want to get this sheet off me, and I want to start yelling up at whoever's lowering me. Hey, hey, hey what's what's happening? What's going on? <laughs> well, it's all, it's all a little too late for you now, isn't it? <laughs> Yell all you want, it ain't gonna make any difference now. <laughs> You sure we can't talk a little bit about this? <laughs> you can keep talking, man. Talk what you can. Soon you're going to be kind of mute. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I'm going to, I guess, try to keep him talking, but I'm going to also mess with that bolt. Dark place around here. <laughs> Take Thulu, Papa, beat me till I understood the darkness that exists. <laughs> now you're going to understand it, oh, too. Oh, sounds nice. Can I get, the, I want to get the bolt out of the fucking lock so I can get out of here. You want to start working on that? Yeah. You start working on that bolt? Where's your gun? Oh, I don't know. Can you give me a preparedness quick test with an advance of four? We're going to see if uh, he found your gun on you or whether or not you stuffed it away well enough that he did. Okay, okay, all right. Uh... Shit, okay. Gun's been removed. Yep. Roll a one, by the way. Yeah, so... <laughs> the ongoing one. series of ones. Shit, right? Jeez. Uh, Roy sees you patting your body and goes, <laughs> you're looking for this? And he holds your gun up above his head. Ain't nothing going to save you down there. <laughs> Roy disappears from the edge of the hole. Okay. You go to work on trying to remove that bolt. Am I still, be am I still being lowered or? Yeah, it's a automatic. Okay. Winch. Yeah. That's what I was guessing. If he had walked away. Okay. So as this winch continues to lower you. Uh, you hear screams, bloody screams from above the hole. Oh, okay, that'd be... And then stop. Yeah. And all of a sudden, uh, you're being rained on from above, and you can see in the dim light of this hole that it's red, and then he drops down and it fumbles through the top bars and then lands with a splat at your feet, the severed hand 
of, you assume, the man who was in the trunk. Yeah, yeah. Of course. With a final clang, the cage arrives, swaying above the floor by about a half foot. <laughs> Not long now. <laughs> Kiss those memories goodbye. <laughs> you start to hear movement in the darkness in front of you in this cavern. It's not the moonshine that wipes the memory, is it? So you start to see slinking from the darkness, hunched over humanoid forms. Through the dim light from the hole, their skin uh, appears to reflect the light more than it should, kind of like it's a bit rubbery. As the first one of these entities breaches the light at the edge of this space that you're down in. The first thing that pokes through the light is a nose that looks more like a dog's nose. It's more of a canine snout. And as the snout breaches into the light, you see tusks on either side of the snout. And behind that, a more human eye and figure. And they're kind of, but they're hunched over with their back kind of above their head a little bit. They're so curled over forward. And there are a lot of them. There's a dozen of these things. They'll even reach so far forward as to place a hand on the ground, kind of momentarily walking on all fours. They walk over each other, kind of like this, like this teeming pile of, of evil entities, jostling and writhing. And they begin growling and banging against the edges of this cage, maddened, banging away and snarling in rage. And you can feel in this moment that this is the thing. This is the thing that got Helen. This adrenaline pulsing sight is what sent Helen spiraling into her waking coma. And you must take a stability challenge, a stability test with an advance of nine plus called a face full of ghouls. And I have a minus two penalty on my uh, cool and stability tests, by the way. Why? Because I'm rattled. You are so rattled right now, you have a minus two on your stability test. And we have an advance of nine plus. How many? I need an 11. I have two stability. And you have two stability? So I can get it. It is doable. Okay. But here, here we go. Uh, but you know what? I might take on an extra problem here, too. <laughs> I don't feel like, I mean, I don't feel like things could get much worse. Got a six. Ooh, this is a good start. A good start. Man, dice. So we're getting rid of all those ones early on. Yeah, exactly. Give me some help here. Five. Eleven minus two Natural makes eleven. Nat eleven minus two equals the nine you needed. Holy Despite cow. Despite being rattled, the sight of these creatures raging, inching towards your face is enough to rattle anybody. If you tell anybody about this, they'll think you're crazy. Mm -hmm. But you're a lot stronger than Helen, and you're not about to crack. You gain the edge. Strange, not maddening. Ooh. So you've gained the edge. Strange, not maddening. You've seen the so-called supernatural up close, and it hasn't cooked your noggin. Sure, it's monstrous and surprising, but it still has to have a logical explanation. Right. Spend this to counter a mythos shock problem. So I think you have two of those. I do. Let's get some mythos shocks on me then well, so I can counter them. Roll a little worse and it'll happen. <laughs> okay. I don't need help rolling worse, okay? After coming to grips with these 
ghoulish entities surrounding and swarming you. You, your eyes and almost core are drawn to a a second entity behind them, seemingly lightly shimmering near the far wall of this cavernous room is a block of stone that looks alien in its surroundings. It has smooth surfaces, sharp edges. It's not just a natural stone formation. There are markings. There are intentional engravings on its surface, and they seem to shimmer in the light more than they should in this dim light, and you feel in your core there's a significance to this stone. The ghouls continue bashing against the cage as well as looking up towards where Roy is kind of expectantly and he's feeding them this dead guy (laughs) and then they slowly lose their enthusiasm for this activity looking and kind of gesturing up at Roy and then they slink away back into the darkness Roy calls down to you in the cage. Hey! Hey down there! Hey! Cat got your tongue? The fuck are these things? Huh. Nobody's usually talking after they see the ghouls. Yeah, well, maybe I got a bit more wits about me than everybody else you sent down here. I guess I gotta do this the old-fashioned way. And the winch starts ascending. Oh, well, fuck. Uh... So I have locksmith. Does that help me with this this bolt? It most definitely does. Let's say you've successfully popped it out. That okay, door good. is now open, and this cage is about to start to ascend. Okay. It is ascending. All right. You're still near the floor of the cavern. Okay. Um, so, But I've gotten the bolt out, and I've gotten the door open. The door could be opened. Okay, let me open the door. Okay. I'm not stepping out yet. Okay, well, the moment you swing the door open... Roy goes, ah, you're not getting out of here. And he takes a shot at you. Okay. Um, I never roll dice in this game. So give me a sense trouble roll. You have two dice. Give me a sense trouble roll of uh, an advance of six. Five. Five. And five five makes ten. Okay, so uh, you're aware the shot's coming. Roy aims your gun at you. And you... Slink in your cage a little bit. Yeah. You have not left this cage. Okay. Um, um, and, uh, but anyway, the shot ricochets off of the caging above you. You're uninjured. Well, now that he's shooting at me, I can I jump out and approach that statuey thing? Yeah. Hop yeah. out. Yeah, hop out. And um, go further into the cavern, away okay. from his ability to shoot me. You feel, as you approach this stone, you feel the same energy that you felt when you looked into Helen's eyes. It's the same energy that embodies these ghoulish entities down in this cavern. Um, And you can surmise that this is a source of power. Okay. And that given enough time around it, it would change you and alter you as well. Um, you seem to be have a mental fortitude greater than most, and so you're doing okay to this point. Now, is this the end of the, the pathway, or is does it go... So there are multiple tunnels out of this cavern. Okay. It seems to be like a network of tunnels, and you know that the ghouls 
exited from, to the one on your left, and there's a center and one on your right. Does it seem like light at all is emanating from any of the tunnels? No light from anywhere. Yeah, let me uh, let me see if I can sense you know what direction the wind is going. I'll lick my finger and put it in the air. Can I feel any breeze? Yeah, you feel a draft from the rightmost tunnel okay. uh, entering your way. Okay. Uh, I'm going to start heading down that tunnel then. You continue to hear the cage ascend, uh, which will take some time. And you paw your way through the dark, following the current of air, eventually exiting the tunnel at an old mining shaft opening, a single train cart uh, mine opening. Uh, You can see the garage and your car. Is there anything here that looks like I could pick it up and use it as a melee weapon? Yeah. Around the entrance to this mine, uh, you can find a piece of steel pipe. Okay. A thick-walled, small-diameter steel pipe. Um, Be able to kind of break that free from the wall. And now you have a four-foot length of something pretty heavy you can swing with. Okay. Uh, I would then like to use my stealth to approach the um, the garage again. You enter the garage for a second time. Give me a stealth roll with an advance of seven. All right. There's a five. And a six. Eleven. Oh, well done. So you enter the garage, see the cage back at the top of the pit, um, and also see Roy with his back to you uh, at his workbench. He appears to be severing and dealing with the remains of the man who was in the trunk. Burl Treehorn from the Alegria Casino. Poor Burl. Poor Burl is now a, a, a pieces of Burl. Pieces of Burl. That sounds like that's the name of his greatest hits collection. Um, All right, well, I want to fucking clobber Roy on the back of the head. Okay, give me a fighting challenge with an advance of four plus, but I'm going to give you a plus two advantage to your roll for just, like, having a serious vendetta against this guy. Okay. For approaching with purpose and coming back with stealth. Okay, perfect. I like that. I like that. Is it a plus two? A two plus two. And that's the advance. Makes the advance of four. Fuck you, Roy. You send Roy sprawling, and now that he's helpless, you can deliver him to any kind of justice you find appropriate. So you can do whatever you want with Roy, giggity goo. What I would like to do right now is tie him up. All right, within this garage and all of its knickknacks, you can definitely find some rope and and bind his hands behind his back and his feet together. Uh, Roy is unconscious and bound. Now what? Kick him gently in the stomach until he wakes up. I mean, not gently, gently, but... Hey, well, what's going on here? Hey, Roy. What's going on? Shit. How the hell are you still talking? I have a few questions for you, Roy. Why don't you tell me what's going on here? I chose to build this garage in this godforsaken place because I can feel the vibrations. The vibrations which would give me power. And soon I discovered these ghoul tunnels running around underneath. Thing is, though, they won't eat the living. So I feed them all the bits. I made them hungry. 
and they seem to drive people mad. So I lied. I said it was my moonshine, and I've been getting business wiping memories. Is there any way that can be reversed? You seen that stone down there? Yeah. Well, <coughs> fuck you. Kick him in the stomach again. <coughs> you sure that's your final answer? <coughs> I've said all I need to say. As you now kind of have a second moment to stare around this garage, you recognize items that appear to be evidence of crime. You figure that if the police descended upon this place, they would find that not all of these car parts came Mm. from reputable garages, uh, that there's blood on various tools, there's old rags and stuff around, there's an illegal moonshine still. Um, You get the sense that this Roy fella hasn't made a dollar honestly, and that it would just take a couple police officers to convict him of several offenses. Well... Let's throw uh, Roy in the trunk of that car. Okay. It's 1940 and I don't have a cell phone. Or maybe, is there a phone in the garage? There's a phone in the uh, garage. Okay. Then I'll, uh, uh, well, I'll phone the police anonymously and say that uh, I was out for a drive and I had discovered this garage. And when I poked my head in, it definitely seemed like there was some, some criminal activity going on here, some nefarious deeds. And someone might want to come out and take a look, check it out. As you route around the desk and find the phone, you find a, a pair of lockbox keys in the desk drawer okay. and scan the room and see a steel locker across the room that the keys match. Let me go and pop open that locker then, see what's inside. When you open the locker, you find inside four sticks of dynamite and a fair bit of dynamite fuse. Huh. Along with a couple of guns and bullets. Yeah. Okay. So first of all, I'm going to get my gun back because I don't want the police finding it here. For sure. It would have been laying on the workbench next to that body being severed up, which is still there in pieces. Yeah, I guess that alone is enough of a crime. (laughs) Um, And then I'm going to take the dynamite and the fuses. And I'm going to go back to the mine entrance, work my way back through the tunnels again to the stone, and then I'm going to cover the stone with dynamite, light me some fuses, and run the hell back out again. In that central chamber, there's a fair bit of human bones littering the ground there. Do you spend any time with that monolith and its carvings, or do you get in and get out quickly? I might give it a quick look over and see if there's anything that stands out to me. Okay, then I would like you to give me a stability test for studying the carvings. Okay. I am still at a minus two on my stability tests. I have two dice. What's my uh, threshold? Advance of nine plus. So I need an 11 again. One. Six total. Six total. A six is a hold. Yep, those are weird carvings, all right. (laughs) Some ancient writing still eludes even the experts. Maybe someday the lab coats in the archaeology lab will figure out what they all mean. Not me, though. Unfortunately, we're going to blow them to kingdom come. Yeah, those archaeologists will never see it. Light the fuses. You got a fair bit of fuse. Light them. As you scramble through a half mile of dark tunnel, getting away from this blast, you can hear the maniacal hoots and hollers of these ghouls echoing through the chambers. Uh, You cut your hands up. 
You stumble a few times, slice your pants, have some blood running from your knee, but you get out safe and sound as uh, there's a huge boom and a big puff of dust from the entrance of this mine that you've just exited. And you immediately feel like the sun in the sky is shining with greater innocence. Like before it was overcast and now it's not, even though the sky really hasn't changed. All right. Um, I'm heading back to my car and I'm, I'm heading back over to Margaret Deacon's place. you drive towards Margaret Deacon's on these, uh, initially on these secondary roads out in the countryside, you see a, a sirened cop car pass you in the other direction, heading towards the garage. This time, when you get to the door and you ring the doorbell at the Deacon residence, as the butler kind of is slowly opening the door, you see a pair of fingers grab the edge of the door and, and whip it open quicker. And it is uh, Margaret Deacon looking at you and going, what did you do? What's changed? Is she awake? Helen, it's, it's like she's got her memory back. What, uh, what has transpired? Well, quite frankly, I would rather not Trouble your conscience with the details. She grasps your hand in both of hers at the same time and gives it a, a firm shake. Jack Shepard, thank you so much. Whatever it is that you have accomplished for us, uh, it mustn't have been easy, and I believe that there were some dark forces at work here. Uh, I cannot thank you enough. Would you like to see Helen? I would love to. Thank you. You're led back up to Helen's room. And you look in the room, and it's empty. But you can hear the wind from the next room down the hall. And so you carry one room further down the hall and look into it, and it's another bedroom. But this one has a pair of French doors that open onto a balcony. And Helen is just standing on the balcony in her bathrobe from earlier with her hair blowing in the breeze. I'll, uh, I'll step into the room, and I'll, um, I'll call her name. Helen? She sort of casually acknowledges you not turning around, just turning her head a little to the mm -hmm. side. I suppose I have you to thank for ridding me of my madness. Uh, yeah. It, uh, yes. You're well? You feel better? She gives a shiver and rubs her shoulders. My mind was flooded with these hieroglyphics that I was at the edge of understanding but just couldn't and visions of snarling beasts. I was stuck in a memory, unable to communicate how I was feeling or move forward or backwards, just sort of stuck in this awful moment. Have you seen it? The hieroglyphs? I think I have. I still feel the importance of them. I'm no longer haunted by it, but I feel like someone who's been badly electrocuted and survived. I've now experienced a power greater than anything 
I understood to exist. Well, let's let's hope that feeling passes. Rest. I definitely need rest. Thank you. If you need anything, your sister has my number. Margaret has always opposed my choices so much, but in this moment, I can only wish I'd heeded her more. I guess that's growing up. I'm going to stand here a little longer. Okay. I'll take my leave. Uh, You exit the room and find Margaret just waiting in the hallway outside the room. She was overhearing. She lifts her hand up and and shows you the check she was holding. Mm -hmm. Which I'll take. This is for the rest of what I owed you and a little extra is my thanks. Thank you, Margaret. Buy yourself a suit. (laughs) I I do need an extra one. Uh, You have my number, Margaret, if you need anything. I very much hope I never need to use it. Agreed. Take care, Jack, and thank you. I'll cash my check. Yeah, okay, so you get to the bank. Yeah, just as it's closing. Just as it's closing. Cash that check. Yeah, I'm going to go have a drink or two. Buying suits can wait until tomorrow. Let's uh, let's end this case with a toast somewhere as far away from any of the spots that I visited on this case. I want to put some distance between me and this horse shit and, uh, and drink away the evening. You find a bar full of people and noise. So you can feel like you're around something. Yep. But despite it all... And the bustle around you, you sit at the bar feeling more lonely than you've ever felt sitting at a bar drinking alone. It's not that you're a PI. It's not that you are a bit of a lone wolf. It's that you are a little aware of something else that everyone else is not. It's like realizing you're an ant in an anthill and giants do walk around and you're the only only ant that that knows and what comes with that is a sense of isolation and dread that you've never had before well let's see how many drinks it takes to temporarily erase that feeling You stumble out of a cab late that evening, putting a pile of loose change and crumpled bills in the hand of the taxi driver, and ride the right-hand wall of your stairwell all the way up to the top with your shoulder leaned against it, (laughs) just riding your way up to the top. Get in, find your bed, and very quickly and exhaustively pass out. And then you are in pitch black. 
you're not sure if you're asleep or not. And in this inky blackness of your own mind, for the first time ever, there is a change. It's like being in a large warehouse and hearing a fire door open and close. You just have the sense that you're no longer here alone in this inky black place you call your consciousness. That something else has entered. And in this inky blackness where you can make out absolutely nothing, your eyes are playing tricks on you. And as you look ahead in the darkness of your own mind, you start to see the glistening forms of something. You don't know if it's your mind playing tricks on yourself, but it's like staring into a pit of snakes with no heads or tails and all the snakes are the size of your waist. It's this writhing mess and there's no sense of scales either, more a, a shiny sh rubbery sheen to this mass of undulating coiled something. And that's as much of a sense of anything as you get as you continue the rest of your sleep dreamless. You wake the following morning both deflated and energized. You have solved your first major case, and in doing so, have money in the bank and can keep the lights on at your private investigation firm. But also in solving this case, you've touched up against a darkness otherworldly. You always knew there were shady characters capable of shady deeds. The idea that there could be something beyond them influencing our world and causing those shady deeds. It's like aliens really appearing on our planet. Like suddenly the universe is larger than it was the day before. Yeah. yeah. And so that runs through your mind now. You spend the next week in slightly more of a fog than usual. You do some shopping. Yeah, I'll get a I'll get a suit. That's a good plan. And I'll see if I can if I can get my my other suit repaired so I don't have the expense of a whole. I'll get buy one new suit. But let's see if we can get the other one repaired so I don't have to buy two whole new suits. All right. Let's save a little bit. <laughs> okay. And you spend this week in a bit of a a fog of a daze. Finding your mind wandering during mundane tasks back to this dreadful idea that there is more to this world than what meets the eye. That there are entities. That crazy people like Claire and Nebel are speaking a little bit of truth. But see, I think in a lot of times, too, that these are the sort of things that as time goes on, the clarity begins to fade. The certainty of what you saw diminishes. Was it really? Like, I mean, there probably were just dogs down there, right? There was just dogs. Okay, I'm in. I'm in you for know. that. So with each passing day and each bottle of whiskey, you're a little less certain that you saw what you saw. And you feel that weird, dreadful sixth sense diminish and disappear. By week's end, you pick up the paper as you usually do and peruse it to see see a headline announcing the inexplicable disappearance of Whitey Alexander as the head of the Alegria. 
You find an article on page nine of the business section talking about Deacon Developments purchasing some land outside San Bernardino. Seems to be the lot where that garage was. Mm -hmm. And they're now turning into a waste management facility, so it's going to be turned into a dump. And unfortunately, at the back of the paper in the obituary section is an obituary for Clara Nebel. It appears that she was part of a fatal car accident when her car plunged off of a bridge into the Los Angeles aqueduct. You also hear through the streets that Roy ended up incarcerated and then was killed while in jail by another inmate, with the thought being that Bugsy Siegel was tying up loose ends. At some point, Margaret phoned you with an update, just letting you know that uh, Helen is slowly returning to her old self. And thus ends the case of the vanishing socialite. Till next time. Till next time. Thank you, Todd Sullivan. Thank you, Dave Goldmine. This has been an exciting experience. This has been totally unique. I've enjoyed it. Let's see where it goes from here. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah, thank you so much. I can't say enough about that. Anyone who's followed us through the story arc, it motivates me to edit these episodes. Every 40-minute episode is like 15 hours of editing, and I love doing it. I'm doing it from a place of passion, and I'm so motivated by the fact that I'm not the only person listening. It definitely helps right around hour seven of editing to know that there's more than just me out there listening. I love you guys so much for doing so, and to my friend Todd for being part of this goofy experience and actually suggesting the Cthulhu Confidential role-playing system for us to try out. It's been a total joy to do this. It's so cool. Yeah, so much fun. Yeah. And uh, much love to my new kitten, Arthur. He's asleep inside my shirt right now. Aww. Who do you want to thank, Todd? Who? What do you, would you like people to know about you, man? Uh, well, as I already said, I mean, thanks to you for being a fantastic host and telling a fantastic story and for uh, being... Uh, creating such a fantastic story through your audio editing and all the Foley work, like it, it really emerges as a as a full, complete story, a full, complete experience that is uh, much unlike anything that I've listened to before. So that's very cool. And you have a, another podcast as well. Yeah, I've got a, a podcast called When Band Things Happen to Good People. It's about and that band is not like musicians. No, it's it's about band books and band movies. So it's B A N N E D. Mm. Um, we are at Band Things B A N N E D Things dot Podbean dot com. Um, we've just finished up. Um, our read-through of the autobiography of Malcolm X, which has been uh, a really great read. It's been um, cool to, like, so I've been listening, and as just a pure listener, I understand that book now to a certain degree. Cool, right? yeah. You do, like, four chapters at a time, whatever it is, and, like, just kind of go through it a little bit. Your co-host, Oren Barter, I like his take. Mm. I like that guy. Yeah. Uh, there's there's something about him that makes me want to continue listening. There's nice. something fun there, nice. for sure. So yeah. Props to you guys. So we've just finished that up. We're planning a live episode to do sort of a final 
final roundup of the book. Uh, and then we have just in the last few days selected what our next book is going to be. Ooh. But I'm not announcing it yet. You have to tune into our no, live episode No, you're not going to give me the sweet I'm not, reveal? I'm not giving you the scoop. Oh, um, but if you do, bogus. if you do, well, this is over. I'll tell you what, Dave, Thanks so much, Todd. I'll tell you what, if you, want a scoop, if you want a scoop, I'll give you a scoop. Okay. All right, so here we go. Between the end of the autobiography of Malcolm X and the beginning of our next book, we are doing a standalone episode on a band film. Mm -hmm. And I will name that film. What is that? Uh, and I'll also mention that you are supposed to be a guest host on that episode. I'm so in for this. Um, it's like a Fortnite film. Yeah, something. the film is called Battle Royale. Okay. Uh, it's a Japanese film that was released in the year 2000. Um, it had been officially banned in a few countries, but why? It's just very violent. The um, the premise of the show. I don't like gory things. Let's just put that okay. out there. I All am right. gonna watch. I'm I'm Good. part of this. Yeah. Well, and yeah, the reason that we're we inclu we've included you in this is because Battle Royale has become <laughs> the title of a genre of video game. Yes. Um, that is very similar. to to the setup of the movie. The setup of the movie is that these kids are all sort of sent into this location and they're forced to battle and Hunger kill each game other. Hunger Games style. Hunger Games style. This precedes the Hunger, ga Hunger Games. Movies. Um, precedes the books as oh. well. This is prior to that. Bloody friggin' um, And so, yeah, until one man is left standing. Right. And that, because of that film, right. which I actually think was an, uh, a manga first, um, that's become the catch-all title for these style of games where um, a bunch of people are sent into an island to kill each other until there's one man standing. And there's a ton of those. There's PUBG and Apex Legends and uh, and then, of course, Fortnite, which is the one that you and I have been playing pretty religiously. <laughs> like, literally, as soon as we're done recording this, we're going to play. <laughs> yeah, we're probably going to play a little bit of Fortnite. <laughs> Got um, to get my dailies. Yes. You know? <laughs> um, so because of that, it seemed fitting to include you uh, in that in that podcast discussion. Dude, I'm in. I'm and force in. you to watch a gory movie. Dude, as well. I will watch through my fingers. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> as I tend to do. Okay, I'm in. That's right. totally awesome. Fantastic. So that's coming out soon, next couple of weeks or something. And it's uh, banned things happen to good people, and it's yep. available on all pat podcasts. Yeah, it's wherever you get your podcasts, yeah. um, as well as Podbean. Yeah, uh, you can email us. Well, there's all places kinds of yeah, places to get of us, but whatever. Right. Sounds good. Well, right. thank you, Todd. Thank you. To another uh, fun evening of recording this yeah. shit. And I'm looking forward to having an opportunity to sit down and sort of find out all the things that I didn't uncover ah, in this story. Yes, definitely. Uh, the next episode should be a wrap-up episode, yeah. if I had a choice. Yeah. Maybe that's what happens in two weeks. We just release a wrap-up episode. That'd be cool, too. Yeah, I'd be down for that, and then we go from there. <laughs> and I'm going to slowly write more of my own fiction into what we're doing here. Nice. For certain. Nice. Looking forward to that. Cool. Okay, thanks, Todd. All right, cheers. And thanks, all of you. You rock. Well, fuck. You know, I forgot to use the fact that you're hungover again. That's why I wanted to use it right there. I mean, we're fucking, we're playing jazz here, man. Like, this is, we're not getting done what this thing wants us to do here. You want a beer? Sure. Now we're getting some good horror content. Yeah! Here <laughs> it is, right? Here it is. I had a voice from this guy. I did have something plaked out. Something kind of like that. <laughs> it's all over for you now. <laughs>